Welcome to week two of Pendulum. Here's the big idea of this series. Life is complicated. Have you noticed? And one of the ways that humans cope with the complexity of life is to think in extremes. Think about conflict, for example. You have a falling out with a friend. What do we do? I can't believe they said that. Are you kidding me right now? Do you, did you see what they did? They are so awful, they are so evil, that is absurd. Now me, on the other hand, I'm 100% innocent in this whole thing. Like I'm a perfect saint, I did everything right. This is all on them and so we get caught in the pendulum swing. And what we all know is that the healing and restoration that we're looking for is actually found in the messy middle. It's just that the messy middle requires a lot of humility and it's a lot easier just to think in extremes. You guys know this because you live in Austin in the summertime. Just so many extremes, man. You go outside and it's so hot and then you walk into any restaurant or coffee shop or church and it's just so cold. And so you're like, well, I'm wearing shorts today, but I guess I have to pack a sweater too? Like, what is going on, right? And it's one thing to talk about conflict or the weather, but when we start talking about an infinite God, this pendulum swing begins to be really real. And one of the things we're trying to to do in this series is help you see that when we're finite humans thinking about an infinite God, there's going to be lots of times where we try to put God in a box, either over here or over there. The problem is God doesn't fit in any boxes that we can create in our mind. And so uh, one of the things that starts to happen is we start to create God in our own image instead of the other way around. And our prayer is as we dive into scripture over the next few weeks that God would break down any box that we put him in. Like last week, we talked about grace and truth, right? Um, Hey, should it just be truth? Like, should we just need to stand up for the things we believe in, right? We gotta say it how it is. Or is it that we should see the people at the heart of these problems as real human beings who need and deserve our love and respect? Which one is it? Is it grace or is it truth? And we read a story about Jesus in John 8 saying, yes, it's grace and it's truth. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. Even if you were here, go back and listen to it because it was that important. Next week, Doug's gonna tackle the question of predestination. It's one of those words in the Bible that makes Bible students like me go, I don't know what to do with that word. Are we predestined to follow God? And if that's so, then do we actually have free will? Or is it that God is sovereign? For more on the predestination paradox, be here next week. I'll let Doug handle that question. What I wanna do is take a step even further back and ask the question, who is God? It's one of the most important questions you could ever ask. Who is God? God, A.W. Tozer famously once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When we ask that question, who is God and who are we, it puts people on a pendulum. And um, we could spend the rest of our lives, and we will, trying to figure out answers to this question, who is God. But today, I wanted to point out one pendulum that I've noticed in my own life and that I've noticed in culture at large, um, and that is this, the title of today's message, Atheism 
and pantheism. Oh yeah, we're not messing around today, church. Atheism and pantheism. First, what do those two words mean? Uh, how do they both miss the mark of, of biblical worldview of who God is? And third, how can we slow the pendulum down and find the invitation that scripture gives us right in the middle of that pendulum. So we're gonna be jumping around in scripture a little bit today, but we're gonna keep coming back to Romans 1 and verse 25. It's gonna be our main verse for today. If you know anything about Romans, you know it was written by a guy named Paul who he would go plant churches and then years later he would write letters back to them reminding them like, hey, remember all the foundation that I laid a few years ago? Remember to do this, remember to do that. What's unique about Romans is Paul hadn't been to Rome at the time that he was writing. So he couldn't lay the, the foundation in person, which means uh, he had to do it over this letter, which is why Romans is significantly longer than all the other letters. That's why it's kind of complicated at times, but it's such a gift to us today. And, and Paul comes out the gate swinging in Romans chapter one, talking about sin and how we've all fallen short of the glory of God and the, the impact that that has had on the world. And then in Romans 1:25, he says this. They exchanged the truth about God, what for today we're gonna call the, the middle of the pendulum. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and get this, and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Worshiping created things rather than the creator. We're gonna talk all about it today, so Lord, would you help us as we dive into your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. All right, in 2008, I started taking my faith seriously and studying scripture seriously. And at that time, there was something going on in culture. There was something, there was a narrative um, trying to combat what we were saying in the church. And that was, there was a, a rise of atheism, popularity of atheism. A guy by the name of Richard Dawkins had come out with a book called The God Delusion in 2006. Then a guy by the name of Christopher Hitchens had written a book called God Is Not Great in 2007. And both of them are atheists. And so we can define our terms. If theism is the belief in God, then atheism is the disbelief in God. The belief that there is no God, that God does not exist. And so in the church, we were asking the question, well, wait a second, is there even a God? Do I believe that there is a God or do I, do, do I believe that there is no God? This question became my obsession in 2008. And, and like I would go back and forth and back and forth, back and forth. I remember uh, Christopher Hitchens came to Boulder. Ethan and I went to go see him debate a Christian. Uh, it was like a cold January night in Boulder, Colorado. And I always say I got saved like six times that day. Because every time Hitchens would give his, his debate, I'd be like, well, I'm over here for sure. And then the Christian would get up and give a rebuttal and be like, oh, praise God, God's real. And I would just keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so real quick, I, I wanna take a few moments for anyone who finds themselves on that part of the, the pendulum. And I, I just wanna tell you a little bit about my thought process and, and my journey all those years ago because it may help you with, with yours. Um, like, like one of the first questions I, I remember throwing me off was, well, okay, but if God created us, who created God? 
And it's kind of a silly question at first, but then you start thinking about it. And like, I'd be like walking to, to class and be like, oh no, who did create God? Like, what, what is happening right now? Is there really a God? Is this all made up? If God created us, who created God? You think about it a little deeper and you realize something, and this is, this is a really important thing to realize. Um, the question, who created God, is actually the wrong question. The, the, the question is, why is there something rather than nothing? Or in other words, why are we here right now? Like, you and I exist, you exist, we exist, we all agree on that. Um, as Christians, we have an answer to that question. Who created us? We believe God created us, right? Uh, from an, uh, the atheist worldview, we'll say, um, you ask them that question, well, well who, if, why is there something rather than nothing? They're the ones that actually have to give an answer to that question, right? And so one of the things I realized early on is that the burden of proof for this one is actually not on our shoulders, it's on an atheist's shoulders where you go, okay, fine, if there is no God, where did all of this come from? In fact, I would argue that the very, the very fact that we exist, the, the most probable explanation for that is that there is an eternal being, an eternal creator who created us. Let me explain my logic. This is a microphone, do we all agree? And as someone who grew up in the 90s idolizing boy bands like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. Never getting to live out that dream. This is a pretty good like plan B, you know? I get to stand up here. Just, just can't dance or sing. Those are the only two things I'm missing. Okay, this microphone didn't just appear here. It's here because Wade ordered it. Our production guy ordered it. It's also here because uh, a truck brought it from the warehouse where it was made to the church. It's also there because there is a warehouse where it is assembled. It's also there because a whole bunch of the, the different pieces of the microphone were brought to that warehouse from other warehouses. Do you know what I mean? And, and so, so when we ask the question, why is this mic here? It's like we could set up a whole bunch of dominoes in order and just keep playing this game over and over and over again. But the real answer is because in 1877, a guy by the name of Emil Berliner had an idea to create and invent a microphone. In other words, there was somebody who pushed the first domino over that, that started the, this whole series of events that leads to me standing here today pretending I'm Justin Timberlake, right? Now, let's apply that same logic to us as people. We are here. You all agree. The question is, where did you come from? Now, I'm the single pastor, so I'll let Ethan or Doug tackle that question in a relationship series at some point. <laughs> the point is, we could continue playing that game, okay, but, but where did they come from? Where did they come from? We could keep moving it back as far as we want. However, I would argue that we wouldn't actually be here unless somebody knocked the first domino over. Now an atheist, the, the, the best theory, the working theory is, yeah, that was uh, the Big Bang theory, is the, the thing that started this whole thing in motion. And for the record, I believe that when God created all of this, there was a pretty big bang. So we're all good there. The more interesting question is, if an atheist is going to say there was nothing except a tiny dense ball of fire that erupted and then all of this came into being, my question is simply, yeah, but 
if there's nothing, where did the tiny dance ball of fire come from? Right? Uh, like you're not actually answering the question, you're just stacking more dominoes up in, in a row. And so what I realized as I'm walking to campus one day is the most probable explanation for the fact that we're here is somebody pushed the first domino over. And I remember I was like, I had my headphones on, you know, and I'm thinking deep about all this stuff when I'm walking and I'm thinking deep, I'm just in my own world, you know? And then that clicks for me and I like take my headphones off and I'm like, God pushed the first domino over. And everyone on campus is like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? Like, sorry, sorry, I'm thinking about things. Don't worry about me. But the most probable explanation for our existence is that there is a creator who created all of this, right? So the question, well, if God created us, who created God? It's actually just an attempt to keep stacking dominoes up. Because as a thought experiment, uh, okay, if this is God one, then God two must have created God one. But then who created God two? Well, it must have been God three. It must have been God four who created God three and God five who created God four. And you could just keep going on and on and on. But we wouldn't be here if you just play that game. The fact that we're here shows the most probable explanation is that somebody pushed the first domino over and we have that answer right in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, but then like, let's, let's push this a step deeper and you go, um, look around the, the, the universe and, and, and our earth and the fact that we inhabit this planet and, and the fact that this world is so fine-tuned for life. And, and you go, okay, now if we go there, the most probable explanation for why this world is so finely tuned for life is not that it's all just matter in motion, but that there is an artist behind this amazing work of art. Like, imagine we were walking in the desert together. I don't know why. We're just hiking, and we haven't seen anybody. Like, I, don't, I come up with that, and I just don't think about a backstory. I don't know why. But we're walking, and, and we haven't seen anybody in a long time. And, and as we walk, we stumble across a watch that's just in the sand. And I reach down, and I pull it up, and I go, look, there's a watch and the watch is much nicer than this one. And it has the exact right date and the exact right time. And then I turn to you and I go, I know what happened. Isn't it so crazy that all of the wind blew all of the sand together in just the right way so that this watch could be ticking at just the right time and created this thing? Like you would look at me like, I think it's time for a water break because you're... Uh, you're delirious, right? No, if that happened, we all know, we all know the backstory there. A watchmaker staying up late in their study one night, putting all of this together, creating this, and then some poor hiker or traveler had it slip off their wrist and it fell there. In other words, we all know the answer is there is a creator behind such a fine-tuned creation. Then you think about the fact that we are actually here and we can distinguish between right and wrong, that we have an objective sense of morality, uh, that we go, well, we all know that certain things you should do and certain things you shouldn't do. And the question is, well, where does that come from? If we're just matter in motion, because one of the big de debates that, that the atheists will bring up is the problem of evil. Well, okay, but if there is a God, then why is there so much evil in the world, it's a phenomenal question. Uh, but then you, you dive a little bit deeper into it and you, you realize, oh, but God in his love 
God who is love, the most loving thing that he could do is create us with the ability to choose. The ability to think critically about things and make decisions for ourselves. We don't wanna just be robots all walking around. We wanna have the ability to choose. The problem is there's consequences for bad decisions. And so often God gets blamed for the bad decisions that we make. You go, just because Adam and Eve took a bite out of an apple, I would say because we take billions of bites out of billions of apples and I've been guilty of that as well. Okay, so now you start thinking about the problem of evil and, and, and then you ask the, the atheist asks the question, well, okay, but if God exists, then why the God of the Bible? And I go, because of the problem of evil. Because in all of my studies of different re- religions, the God of the Bible is the one who says, I'm going to do something about the problem of evil. It's not just, so good luck, hope you do better than, than you don't, hope you, you, your, your good outweighs the bad. But instead, God goes in the greatest act of love of all time. I gave them the free will to choose. They chose wrongly. And so I'm going to, to step into their world, come for them and do something about the evil by taking it all on my shoulders on the cross. As Paul writes in 2 Timothy, he, who, he took him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin that we may go free. And so in 2008, I'm going through all of this stuff and I'm starting to build out this cumulative case for why God exists. And as I do, it's like that pendulum swing just starts to slow down. Slowly, 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 where I start to realize, oh, I think there really is a God. And I really uh, actually do think that God loves us and that God paid the price for our sins. And it was a beautiful journey that I went on. I say all that to say this. Um, If you find yourself on that pendulum swing, uh, let me offer two pastoral words real quick. For, For the one who would say, no, this is me. I don't believe that there is a God. I'm a I'm an atheist. What I want to say, and this is really important, is I'm so glad that you are here. I'm so glad that you are watching online. I mean that, you're welcome here exactly as you are. We are better because you are here. And so thank you for joining us today. And what I would also say is don't be afraid of of the questions. There's answers to those questions. Now there's rebuttals to all the things that I said and then there's rebuttals to the things that they say about those things and it goes back and forth, but there are answers. Guy by the name of William Lane Craig has helped me phenomenally in all of this. Um, Lee Strobel has been big, a pastor by the name of Eric Mason has been big for me and so many other names, but investigate, ask questions. Now to the one who who finds themselves going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, uh, let me say this. Um, One, that's a very human thing. Uh, In Matthew 28, they all meet up with Jesus and, and it says that they all worshiped him, but some doubted. And I've always just taken a lot of, peace and comfort with that passage because I go, yeah, I, I, I get that. Like asking questions is good and asking questions is a totally fine thing to do and there's so much space here for you to do that. And so thank you for, for asking your questions. Let me also say this. Jesus tells us in Matthew 22 to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. And so it's really important that we, we do all the mind stuff like we did for the last five minutes, 10 minutes, let's be real. I get passionate about this stuff. Okay, but he also says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. So what I've realized is the best apologetic for me for why God exists is to start to build a cumulative case for it. 
that yeah, let's get the mind stuff locked in, but let's also go do uh, love, our, love our city and, and actually love our neighbor and serve people, right? And, and actually go experience God and be open in worship to, to what God may want to speak to us because if you just get caught up in the mind, sometimes it's easy to get trapped uh, up there. And what I'm trying to say is God loves you so much that, that he wants you to know him uh, like think about Paul in Ephesians 3 where, where he just falls to his knees and goes, God, I just pray that they would know you and know the depth and width of your love. He uses the Greek word gnosko, which is not just know a bunch of things about God, but experience God. Uh, like I watched the documentary, The 100 Foot Wave last year about Nazare, the, the big wave surfing. And uh, so you could say that I know about big wave surfing because I know a bunch of like facts about it. But let's be real, like I haven't experienced it. Like Larry Hamilton and all those guys, they, they know about big wave surfing in a way that's different than how I know about it. Does that make sense? Uh, like I'm the guy who, if we're just being real at this point in my life, is like, if it's bigger than six feet, I've got a great book, I'll just be on the beach cheering you guys on, go have fun, you know? So I don't know about big wave surfing, like, like I haven't been in it. And the invitation of the Bible is to know God, to experience God. And so for those of you who find yourself on this part of the pendulum, that's my challenge to you. Now, this sermon is, is about more than just this side of the pendulum. What I've noticed in the last couple of years is a swing of the pendulum. A while back, I started to, to notice that something that we have been praying for it is a spiritual awakening. It's like more and more people are realizing, oh, I think there's something more going on here. Uh, like, I think there's obviously something more than just what we see. The problem is the shift that I've seen is we've swung from atheism and gone clear past the, the gospel and ended up in pantheism. Now, if Theism is the belief in God. Atheism is the belief that God does not exist. Pantheism is the belief that all is God and God is all. And so let's go back to, to Paul's words in Romans, Romans 1 because he tells us this was gonna happen. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and then what happens? Worship and serve created things rather than the creator. You look around and you go, this is so beautiful. I can't believe how amazing this earth is. Maybe it's just all God. And, and okay, so I love creation. I love a good sunset. Uh, I'll hike a long way to get a good view. Uh, I love the ocean. I love the stars and the night sky. But if we make those things the ultimate thing, we're actually robbing ourselves uh, of so much of the awe and wonder uh, of realizing that there's actually a creator who created all of these created things. We do this all the time. We take good things and we make them ultimate things. Food. Man, one of my favorite things to do is to have a good meal with good friends. But, but what happens uh, when we make food an ultimate thing in our life? Then, then all of a sudden that meal ends there. 
instead of being a means to an end that points us towards a creator who, who would create us with taste buds so that we can experience this and gave chefs the creativity to create such amazing dishes and communities so we have friends to laugh with and enjoy the meal with together. Do you see it? Think about sex. Beautiful gift meant to bring a married couple closer together, but what have we done? We've taken a good thing and made it an ultimate thing, hoping that, that this ultimate thing would fix everything and then being shocked when it just makes everything more complicated. Like, well, why didn't that fulfill us the way that we thought that it would? It's because it was a good thing that we tried to make an ultimate thing, or money is the easiest example. Like, come on, money is a good gift that can help you and your family enjoy life and most importantly, make a difference in this world. What happens when we make money into God, when we start worshiping money? Well, one, we're never going to have enough. Two, we're always going to be terrified that we're going to run out. What's happening? We're starting to worship the created things rather than the one who created us. You can't even get past the first two commandments in the 10 commandments here. Uh, Exodus 20, when, when God gives Moses the 10 commandments, here's how he starts. You shall have no other gods before me. It's the first of the 10 commandments. And then I love God because in number two, he just doubles down. He goes, did you not hear what I said? You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Don't worship created things. Worship the one who created the created things. So what I've just noticed from pastoral meetings and from doing my best to be a, a, a student of, of culture and of God and all things spirituality is that the shift that we have made is from atheism over to, to pantheism. Now, I forgive that I'm painting with very broad strokes here. I only have a few minutes to, to tackle very complicated subject. Pantheism is, is hard to define. It's kind of like trying to, you ever spill something and you're, you're like trying to like grab a bunch of paper towels and keep it from going all over your kitchen floor? Just me? Okay, cool. Well, well when that happens, you like find yourself going like, like, like that's kind of what it's like when you're trying to define pantheism. But you see it in lots of streams of Hinduism, Buddhism, and most prominent in a city like Austin, lots of streams of New Age spirituality. Where, where it becomes not just, hey, we know that there is a God, but that all is God. And if we're being really real, what's really underneath all of that is that I am God, that we can be gods, that we can awaken to our own divinity. The problem with that, in addition to everything that the Bible says, is you just end up being exhausted. That, and it just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Like, like, I love you. You don't wanna be God. You would make a terrible God. I would make a horrendous God. I'm 33, I barely remember to pay my taxes this year. You think I'm gonna be God? I would be so bad at being God. Uh, last month, I, I was flying to Denver on a Thursday morning to, to preach at, we have a young adult's, uh, in, in Denver, and so I, I, I pack my bag, I get in my car, I drive to the airport, I park, I get out of my car, and I realize I didn't bring my bag with me. You know like when you're traveling, the most important thing to have? I forgot my bag. 
So first off, I'm just that crazy person walking through the airport with nothing. The guy who sits down just stares directly ahead of me for the entire flight. It's Southwest, so all the families are like, let's not, let's find another row. Let's not sit next to that guy. And my buddy Corey is picking me up from the airport and I have to call Corey and go, hey man, is it cool if I borrow like everything? God? I can't even remember to pack my bag. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you hear what I'm saying? Like, we're not good at this. I could give you example after example after example. My friends are laughing because this is just the, the story of my life. Like, imagine if I was God. Be like, oh no, Cody told me to help him with his job interview today. He asked me like 10 times. He even prayed in Jesus' name that I would do it, but it was at like 1 p.m. I totally forgot to help Cody. I hope he got the job. I would be a terrible guy. I used to be kind of offended when the Bible would refer to us as sheep. And the older I get, the more I go, no, that's about right. <laughs> that's who I am. Sheep that needs a shepherd, man. Fortunately, we have one, his name is Jesus. He says things like, hey, are you tired yet? You tired of trying to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, why don't you come to me? I'll give you rest. You don't have to fix all this. You don't have to carry all this. Had a conversation right before I came up here with someone who's going through it. And it's like, man, I, I don't have answers for you. Uh, tragic, terrible, confusing. And yet one thing that I can offer is that we don't have to be God in this situation. That we can trust that God is still good and that God still has a plan and that we are still in the palm of his hands. You don't want to be God, and so I'm telling you this pendulum swing that, that I see, and when you play it out over history, it's like we just keep going back and forth, atheism, pantheism, atheism, pantheism. What, what's really at the heart of that is both of those worldviews allow you to be at the center of the universe. If there is no God, then it's like, well, yeah, I'll be like a law-abiding citizen, and I'll even like help out sometimes because it makes me feel good about me, but I can pretty much do whatever I want. And if it's, well, if I am God, then, then nobody can really tell me what to do and I can just follow my heart and set truth however I want to set it. Both worldviews, uh, an attempt to, to, to not go, hey, maybe there is a God who created me, who knows better than me, who loves me, and who's giving me a sweet invitation to surrender. And so if, if we have atheism and pantheism, what's in the middle and for that, I would go to 1 Corinthians chapter six, where Paul says this, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. Quick Bible, the entire Bible in, in one minute, here we go. Genesis one and two, God's space and our space completely overlapping, everything's good. Genesis 3, we rebel, and that space separates. And then all throughout the Old Testament, they're trying to get that space back, and so they spend a bunch of time and a bunch of money building this temple that's meant to be the place where God's presence dwells, especially the innermost part of the temple is called the Holy of Holies. And what Paul is saying is because of the work of Jesus on the cross, that whoever puts their faith in Jesus, your body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit, did you get it? It's not that you are God, it's something way better. 
It's that the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God wants to come and dwell within you, like a roommate moving in. You remember the first time you got a roommate? And you started to realize like, oh, I probably have some blind spots that, that I haven't been able to see until somebody else pointed it out. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit moves in. Uh, I was trying to, to think this week uh, about when that happened for me. And it's funny because when I moved out of my parents' house, I moved in with Doug and Ethan and a few other guys for a few years. But we just like enabled each other to live however we wanted for, for several years there. But then I moved in with like some real adults And I remember week one, week one, I get home at like 11 p.m. And my first thought is, oh, I haven't done my workout yet. I should work out. Now, when we were living together, it was just like, oh, whoever wants to work out, just work out. That's like putting the bat signal up and saying like, anyone's free to join, turn the music up way too loud. It's fine, who cares? So it's 11 p.m. and I go, oh, I still need to work out. I was doing a workout called Insanity at the time, which if you don't know, is just a lot of like jumping, you know, and like lunging and very loud when you have a roommate who's right beneath you, whose room's right beneath you, who has to wake up early the next morning. I don't even think about it. And so I get a text the next day like, hey, so we're not gonna do that. <laughs> you know, like, didn't know I had to say this, but we're gonna have like, quiet hours after 10 p.m. or whatever. And at first I was like, that's so lame. Then I, you think about it more and like, no, I'm, I'm wrong here, obviously. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is like your roommate who knows better than you. And the Holy Spirit's going to move in and there's going to be times where you go, ah. And yet it's always going to lead to freedom if you will allow the Holy Spirit to be that roommate who does know better than you. Hey, you see that bitterness that you've hung on the wall, like that, that picture where you've just frozen that person in time from something they did 15 years ago and just assume that they're still that person? What if we took that picture off the wall? What if we worked on a little bit of forgiveness? Ah, really? Forgiveness? Yeah, but it'll lead to freedom if you will allow it to. The problem is when you get caught on the pendulum of either atheism or pantheism, you miss out on the beauty of the gospel. The Holy Spirit wants to move in and help you live life and life to the full. Life just gets so much simpler when you, when you get off the pendulum. Remember years ago, I was, I was wakeboarding with Andrew, who's uh, on, our, on our staff, and um, our buddy Matt was, was driving the boat. And shout out to all the captains out there who drive the boat. I love you. One of the things you do do is you tend to over-explain all the stuff that you're thinking about. Love you. Thankful for you. Someone's gotta do it. And, and so our buddy Matt's driving the boat. Andrew's out back. And when you're, when you're wakeboarding, you can barely hear, you know, what the person on the boat is saying. Matt goes, hey, we got a couple of boats coming. We're gonna hang out here for a second. The wake's gonna pass by. Then I'm gonna, I'm gonna slowly bring us around this way. Then there's gonna be another boat that comes back that way. And then we're gonna wait for that wake to pass by. And then we're gonna take off this way. And Andrew's sitting back there and I'll never forget it. He goes, sounds good, I'll follow you. <laughs> and that's so funny to me for so many reasons. But it's always stuck with me where, where you go, okay, you could try to define all of life for yourself or you could just say, hey, I, I've got a savior. His name is Jesus. Jesus, I'm just gonna follow you. Jesus, whatever you do, I'll, I'll just do what you do. 
I, the amount of complexity of life that is taken off my shoulders every time I remember, oh, I'm just gonna, what would Jesus do in this situation? I'm just gonna do that. So what I wanna say and how I wanna end this is with one more passage, Psalm 8. Um, because back in 2008, I was asking all these questions about whether or not there really was a God, whether God existed. And uh, in the midst of trying to answer all the questions and all the apologetics and watching debate after debate after debate on YouTube, what I would do is on Sunday mornings, I would drive to this church. Um, this is this like charismatic church that was just all worship the whole time and I could just kind of sit in the back and be left to myself and it was great. And what I would do is I would, I would drive there and I would open my Bible to Psalm 8. And every Sunday for, for months, I would read Psalm 8, verses three and four, which I'll read for you in just a second. And I would read that passage, and I'd go, okay, God, I don't know if you are here, I don't know if you are real, but I'm here, and I'm open to whatever you wanna say. And by the way, if you find yourself on that side of the pendulum, that's a phenomenal, I dare you to pray that prayer today as we head into worship. It says this, when I consider your heavens, this is David writing, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. You look up in the night sky and you realize there's actually a creator behind all of the creation. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. I'd put my Bible on the seat and I would worship. Slowly, over time, week after week, conversation after conversation, I found myself realizing, hey, the very fact that I'm even pursuing all this, like why would I be pursuing all of this if we're just matter in motion? And slowly but surely, I found myself coming back to the center and realizing, oh no, there really is a, a God that he really did create all of this. Several years later, I found myself doing this. This is a story for another day that I'm excited to, to tell you at some point. Um, seven, eight years ago, starting to ask a lot of the questions uh, about the Bible and, and, and deconstructing and trying to figure everything out, what I actually believe. And it all led me to a, a moment where I came back to Psalm 8 verses three and four, where, where, where I sat, and I'll tell you the story another day, we're over time already. But came back to Psalm eight, verses three and four, and I read it again. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, all of creation, realizing the creator beyond the creation. And then this is what really got me the second time around. What is mankind? Like who am I? That you are mindful of us human beings that you care for us. I, I realized in that moment that I, I am so done and tired of trying to outsmart God. Realizing the moment that, that as I continue to ask questions, Jesus was just there the whole time. Going, hey, this is good and it's fine, but whenever you're done and ready to stop running, I'm here. Whenever you're ready to stop trying to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, I'm ready to carry it. 
My yoke is easy, my burden is light, come on. And it was the same passage that helped me when I found myself on this side of the pendulum, that helped me when I was on that side of the pendulum and I felt like that's, that's just like God, isn't it? To go, hey, as humans, we're going to, to explore, we're going to try to figure things out, but at the end of the day, the freedom is all found in surrender where we just get our eyes back on the one who created us. So to end this time, we're gonna sing a song together called So Will I. Uh, it's meant a lot to me over the years that if the stars were made to worship, then I'm just gonna do the same thing. If the rocks cry out in silence, then I'll just do the same thing. I'm not gonna try to outsmart this God. I'm just going to worship the one who loves me. I'm just going to allow myself to be loved. Man, I feel like that's oftentimes when we find ourselves over here. It's like, are, are you willing to allow yourself to be loved by the one who created you? And so what I thought would be good is as we end, just to talk about a few attributes of God. Just list them off. Read the verses that go with them. I'm not even explaining them too much, but, but just, just make much of, of God. Make much of the one who created us as we go into worship. So you guys stand to your feet with me. Let, let, let's talk about who this God is. Bible says that God is infinite. Colossians 1:17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Hey, someone push the first domino over. Who was it? His name's Yahweh, and he's omnipresent. Where can I go from your spirit, David writes? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If, my, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Some of you are in this room because you tried your hardest to run away and you realized that God was still there. If, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Next slide, God is wise. There's times where I'll walk into a, a, a counselor's office with, a, with a, a complicated issue, like get ready, like this is a tough one, and I'll see my counselor just kind of smile, like we'll, we'll see, I've been doing this for a long time. Hey, God's a wise counselor who's been doing this for even longer. He knows the situation that you're in, he's been there before, he's got you. It says this, Romans 11:33. oh the depth, oh the depth of the riches of your wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable. We tried for the last 30 minutes to search it out, but let's be real, it's unsearchable at some level. His judgments and his path beyond tracing out. Next slide, God is faithful. We preached about this in our last series. If we are faithless, hey, if you're feeling, feeling faithless in this room right now, take heart. The Bible says that God remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. And last but not least, and if you haven't gotten a single thing I've said all day, get this, God is love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This is the God we worship. Not the things he created, but the one who created it all. And so Father, we lift our attention to you. And we say together as one family that if the stars were made to worship you, then so will we. And if the rocks cry out in silence, then we've got you too. So for the one who is questioning your existence, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would meet them in a tangible way. That your love and your grace would, would wrap around them, that they would feel your divine peace even now in this moment. A peace that can't be explained by logic. To the one who finds himself on the other side of the pendulum trying to hold this whole world together, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would give them a divine ability to surrender and to come back and to remember that it was never their job to save the world to begin with. So we fix our attention on the one who did. Thank you, Jesus, for being our King. We praise you in your name.